welcome. This is a podcast of Ukraine World, which is an initiative aiming at communicating Ukrainian developments to international audiences. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko, and I am very happy to have here Jakub Kalensky, who is a senior fellow at Atlantic Council, and I think one of the best specialists in fighting against propaganda in Europe. Hello, Jakub. Hi, and thank you very much for the presentation. <laughs> uh, you worked for a very long time at EU East uh, Stratcom. This is a task force at the European Union. Now you moved uh, to Atlantic Council and formerly you were a journalist, a Czech journalist. And uh, in, in your activity, you were, you know, analyzing all these things that we call disinformation, propaganda, information mm-hmm. warfare differently. So my question would be, we are now in Ukraine, in Kiev. How would you estimate how this problem changed, evolved since the beginning of Russian aggression in 2014? Mm. Uh, I see two developments that kind of worry me the most. Uh, first of them, many of the approaches, many of the strategies and tactics of the Russian information warfare are being increasingly used by domestic actors, uh, obviously mostly for their own political reasons, very cynical ones. If I attack my enemy, it benefits me. However, if you have a disinformation message endorsed by a domestic source, suddenly it looks like, yeah, a domestic disinformation. It whitewashes the origin of the Kremlin. Uh, so, for example, what I what I just said recently in the Congress, uh, our Czech president was uh, the most visible person who repeated the Russian lie that it was not only Russia who produced Novichok that could have poisoned uh, Skripals, but it was also other countries, uh, Czech Republic, one of them. And suddenly, for an unexperienced uh, consumer of the media space, it looks like, yeah, so if if the Czech president says it, it it must have come from Czech Republic. So, no, no, it's still a Russian lie. You know, if I take your phone and start using it instead of you, it doesn't mean that it stopped being your phone. And if the Czech president takes a Russian lie and uses it, it doesn't mean that it stopped being a Russian lie. Do so, you see that pattern in 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 many European countries? You would countries? see it. You would see it. Unfortunately, for example, in Ukraine, we see. For example, yeah, when we are talking about Russian propaganda, I'm I'm absolutely agree with you because there are so many sources, so many you know new TV channels, websites that pretend to be you know free media, but actually they are they are funded from Russia. They are uh, transmitting Russian messages, mm. etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, I do see it in more in more countries. Uh, obviously, Ukraine being on the front line and being the chief enemy of 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 Russia in this information war. Obviously, Ukraine has the hardest position. But I'm afraid you you would see it in in other European countries when we had. Uh, two or three presidential candidates in France repeating Russian lies that the war in Ukraine is actually fault of the West. It was provoked by the West or organized by the West. I think I think this is a trouble. If you have a look at uh, the Hungarian government repeating the same Russian lines to take about the Ukrainian language law. This is a success of Russian disinformation. Uh, if you have a look at what uh, Matteo Salvini and Beppe Grillo are doing in, in Italy, um, Nigel Farage in, in, in Britain, Miro Zeman in Czech Republic. I think you would see quite a lot of politicians who are actually using Russian lines to take. And so that's the first development that kind of kind of worries me. And the second development that kind of worries me, and that might be really dangerous for, for the future as well, is that people are increasingly getting used uh, to this information war. So I have seen in a few analysts saying that there wasn't much of Russian disinformation during the recent European elections. 
well, the only numbers that we have are coming from my previous team from the East Stratcom. And they uh, they identified uh, something like 900 disinformation cases in the period uh, of beginning of the year to the May elections, which was twice as much compared to the same period the year before. So the only numbers we have are actually telling us there was twice as much <laughs> disinformation messages, but you will see researchers saying there wasn't that much. People are getting used to it. People think that it's the new normal. And and this is scary as well. Do you think that uh, disinformation is the biggest danger of of, uh, of Russian information warfare? Because uh, there are also a theory uh, of thought, and I uh, pretty much share it, uh, that disinformation is only one part of it, because another part of it is that Russians are taking facts, which are real mm. facts, hard facts, uh, but they exaggerate them. For example, they take a part, uh, a part for the whole, they exaggerate something, they create something very yeah. totalizing yeah. out of very... Would you agree with that? Well... I think it just depends on how you define disinformation. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it could be just intentionally spread false information, but it can be also like using correct information in the context, which actually makes it a false information. If, if you have a look at the books by uh, Jon Mihai Pacepa, the Romanian defector from the you know Romanian KGB, uh, or uh, Ladislav Bitman, the Czechoslovak defector, uh, you will see very often that they are building the disinformation around the kernel of truth, and this is this is what makes it mostly persuasive. So, so. For example, the most uh, favorite messaging in in many European countries of of Russian disinformation channels is is about the migration crisis. And obviously, so you take the kernel of truth. It is true that there is a migration crisis. Yes, it is. And it is true that there are some incidents there. Uh, however, it is already not true that, for example, migrants have set on fire the oldest church in Germany as the Russian channels spread, or that. Uh, Dozens of migrants have raped uh, Italian nuns, which was like one of the disinformation messages we we have identified. So you are trying to build the disinformation around the kernel of truth because that's what makes it more persuasive. So um, I think I think in this department we are really talking just about the terminology. However, it is true that Russian disinformation is certainly not the only um, weapon in this uh, Russian aggression as we see it at least since 2008 and uh, so we see also diplomatic measures economic measures but yeah i consider myself expert only on on the disinformation matters <laughs> who are the major targets of the russian disinformation mm. the russian propaganda right mm. now what 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 countries what ideas what what, what politicians mm. Mm. I mean, it will it will probably not be a surprise here in Kiev. I I, I think still the enemy number one is Ukraine. Um, that's the case ever since uh, Maidan. Um, Ukraine is being attacked as. Uh, Uh, th- 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 there are these lovely 14 signs of fascism by Umberto Eco and one of them is uh, presenting the enemy as both too weak and too strong and you see it precisely in the Russian messaging with regards to Ukraine that it's like a failed state, non-state but however it is also very aggressive and it tries to attack Russia five days a week uh, apparently it is attacking Russia only within Ukrainian borders But yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, Ukraine is definitely still target number one Uh, when it comes to the West, um, the West is still like one big enemy. Uh, 
But obviously there are countries that get attacked more. United States will be probably uh, the number one country. Uh, United Kingdom has risen very high in the last year. I think it's mostly because of the Skripal case. Uh, mm-hmm. They had to lie a lot about uh, about the Brits. Um, so uh, you would see among the politicians, what we have seen back, back in my previous team in Brussels, you would see... Uh, that after after the American elections, it was no longer Barack Obama who was target number one of the Russian disinformation, but it was rather Angela Merkel. Uh, she was probably considered to be the number one symbol of the unified West. It is something that's, uh, for example, in that Pacepa's book about, about KGB disinformation against Catholic Church, they didn't try to spread uh, messaging about the big Catholic Church is really hard to um, denigrate or, or to portray as bad as this big organization. They simply try to spread disinformation about the Pope from from the World War II times, presenting him as as uh, Adolf Hitler's Pope, which was obviously a lie. So you try to pick that one person that symbolizes the institution that you are trying to denigrate. So previously Barack Obama was the symbol of the West. Now it's more Angela Merkel. But I still think that that Ukraine is is the highest on the agenda. I, even even the previous uh, the recent in the recent uh, presidential elections, uh, you, you you would see it denigrating Ukraine as as a failed non-state that doesn't even choose its own president. The president is being chosen either in Washington or in Brussels. So these were the most uh, most frequent disinformation messages we identified with the Ukrainian election task force. We studied it as well at Internews Ukraine and Ukraine mm-hmm. World, and our listeners can have our research about social networks and how Russian social network of contact was displaying all this, you know, Ukrainian election. But uh, you mentioned Angela Merkel. It's very interesting because, um, I mean, in Ukraine also there is a talk that, look, Angela Merkel in Germany is much more soft on Russia than, for example, United States. And uh, basically Russia is trying to make this drift, transatlantic drift be- between uh, United States and Europe. Mm-hmm. And in this play, Germany would rather be a friend. And we also know the Nord Stream story. How how do Russians understand that? Why they play so much against Angela Merkel when probably they hope that Germany will be their uh, ally? This might be really about different target audiences. I mean, um, the Kremlin will definitely try and influence the decision-making elite in Berlin, but obviously they will not use the same messaging that they are using elsewhere. So I think if you are trying to alienate the masses uh, from their own representation, this is where you will use this kind of messaging, you know, Angela Merkel, friend of refugees and all, all that. Uh, so, so I think it's about different target audiences. I think uh, that's the only distinction we are talking about. You will have different messaging for the people that you want to hate Angela Merkel or to hate uh, Germany, to hate Europe, to hate the West. And you will have different messaging for the people that you want to do business with. <laughs> But all those European elites, do they understand, for example, that Europe is so much demonized? There were lots of research showing that Europe is so much demonized in on Russian uh, top TV channels, for example, that so many myths, uh, absolutely absurd stories are, are spread. And uh, all those elites are shown that they're weak, that they're incapable. Do those elites understand that the target of the Russian propaganda? It's actually my fear that no. Uh, and 
again, this is what I said just recently last month uh, in the Congress. I, I'm seriously afraid that we are losing the information war with Russia at the moment, precisely because most of the elites do not even understand what, what level of threat this is. I mean, how do they think that, you know, they will make, for example, relations with ordinary Russians if if the Russians are being told that Germans are raping dogs in the streets because they don't have enough women there? Uh, how how do they think that Russians are thinking of them? Uh, and yeah, my fear is that that most of the elites do not understand what how, how big the threat actually is. It's precisely because, again, the target audiences will be so different, right? So if you tell to a diplomat that, you know, Igor Prokopenko is saying uh, Europe is a kingdom of gays and pedophiles and they are stealing Russian children and, and trying trying to force them to change sex, probably this, you know, experienced diplomat will laugh it off because he won't believe it. So he thinks that nobody will believe it. Well, that's that's a very big mistake. <laughs> the target audience of this messaging is not the experienced diplomat from, from the capital. The target audience of this might be a lonely pensioner living on the countryside whose only source of information is chain emails from a friend, you know. And <laughs> so it's a failure to understand uh, uh, how, how big damage this, this actually can create. What are the major messages you see in the past months, for example, on Ukraine, on US, on Europe? How, mm. how is it changing in the in the in the past time? You know, the the strategy will always be the same. The strategy will always be to weaken what the Kremlin perceives as the enemy, and the enemy is probably the West. And in the West, it's actually including Ukraine. <laughs> so, at least since since the revolution of dignity, so so the strategic aim will be always always the same. The tactical aims, uh, the tactical means that you use might might change a bit, and that will be <clears throat> depending a lot on the on the actual events. So obviously, uh, in the last year, one of the biggest disinformation messaging campaigns was about the case of Skripal, the poisoning, the poisoning uh, in Salisbury. Uh, and you could see you could see there actually the very same approach that we have seen after murder of Boris Nemtsov, after downing of MH17, after the chemical attack in Douma or bombing of the humanitarian convoy in, in Syria. It's always uh, spreading as many information, as many messages as possible in order to confuse the audience. Not to persuade you about one version of events, but to persuade you that there are too many versions of events and we will never know the truth. Well, I think you know it very well about MH17, but this was the same about Skripal. Well, I talked so recently to a British scholar who told me, I think they they identified about 20 different narratives about Skripal. Yeah. Just self-contradictory narratives. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but you know, uh, uh, there is this nice movie by uh, some Lithuanian filmmakers, Russia Information War or Information Aggression 2025 or something like that. And uh, there is an interview with uh, Lyuda Savchuk, who was uh, one of the first ones who revealed how is it, how is it uh, functioning in that famous troll factory in, in Petersburg. And she said she was there during the day when Boris Nemtsov was killed and uh, that they gathered all the stuff and stop whatever you are doing and now just talk about 
Boris Nemtsov. And you will say that he was killed by the Americans in order to blame Putin. You will say he was killed by the Ukrainians to blame Putin. You will say he was killed by the Russian opposition to blame Putin. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it's still the same approach with uh, with Kripal. So you would see that uh, he was poisoned by the Brits, he was poisoned by the Americans, he was poisoned by Mossad. I think Ukraine was also blamed in one of the narratives. I don't know how many. Of course, of course, because Kripal is a Ukrainian last name. So the Ukrainians should have been involved. <laughs> so so yeah, you, you can see that uh, whenever whenever the Kremlin is trying to hide its blame, they, they are using the same smokescreen. The trouble is, again, that sometimes sometimes the domestic actors are helping them, like the Czech president. <laughs> you are from the Czech Republic, and uh, recently we understand that there is a drift, there is a some kind of a... I would say, a difficult period of relations between the Western Europe and Central Eastern Europe. Uh, you mentioned the leaders of Hungary, and we can mention the leaders of Czech Republic. Do you see that Russians are trying also to deepen that split uh, between, say, you know, Poland and Germany, Czech Republic and Germany, and show that Europe, Europe is not unified anymore? If your strategic aim is to weaken the West, you are obviously trying to do it on all levels possible. So you will try to use the divisions between the United States and Europe. But you will also try to use uh, the tendencies that weaken the European Union, like the Brexit referendum. But you will also try to use the divisions with, between particular countries. So you will always support the separatists, be they in Scotland or in Catalonia. Uh, and this is precisely this is precisely in in the same in the same uh, strategic goal. Um, you wouldn't succeed in Poland in a country like Poland. You wouldn't succeed with messaging that Putin is the best and strongest leader and sexiest and uh, and whatever. Obviously not. But you can succeed with messaging about evil Ukrainian fascists and about evil German fascists and you know the Lithuanians they are also evil and and uh, yeah and Brussels is evil. So 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 yeah you will try to play you will try to play these divisions. Uh, what we see recently is that in the Visegrad group, uh, Czech Republic, uh, Hungary, um, Slovakia and Poland, uh, you would see increasing Euroscepticism. Uh, obviously, it will be partly organic, uh, but I am 100% sure that this is something that the Kremlin likes to see and they will try to boost it, they will try to help it, they will try to strengthen it. So they will try to portray these countries as unreliable partners in Brussels and vice versa to portray Brussels as you know evil evil oppressors uh, to 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 these countries um, you would see a lot of messaging about you know actually very similar to that Igor Prokopenko's nonsense about the decaying West that is trying to force kids to change sex. Jesus Christ. Respect for LGBT doesn't mean anything else that you, you are not beating them. <laughs> that's that's it. They have the same rights uh, as every every other person in the state. It's about rule of law. Uh, that that's that's all it means. But nobody forces anyone to do anything. Uh, but you would unfortunately see that these messages uh, surprisingly succeed. Uh, the more the more east you go, um, I think some some of the messages of Sputnik in Georgia are are completely outrageous. But you would see that in the region between Berlin and and Russia, this kind of messaging attacking the LGBT uh, minority and and portraying them, demonizing them, you, you can see it it succeeds much more in than than in the West. 
We continue our uh, conversation with Jakub Kalenski, senior fellow at Atlantic Council and one of the best specialists in understanding and fighting against Russian disinformation. We are talking about Russian disinformation, but uh, if we if we talk about the disinformation problem in general, it's not only Russia, right? Mm-hmm. You, we, we started this conversation with you saying that it penetrates uh, other countries and is used by the local actors. We also understand that there is... Um, are there other powers like mm. ISIS, like Iran, like maybe China, etc.? Do you still see Russia as a champion in that? Mm. Or you see it already as a general problem which which Russia only plays a some role but not the major role? Mm. Well, for start, I have to admit that uh, I started working on this, on this problem as, as a specialist on Russia. So I speak Russian, I don't speak Chinese, I, 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 I don't speak Farsi, so, so I, I'm not really... Um, capable of, of giving you like a proper expert evaluation here uh, what I what I read like secondhand uh, you can see that uh, for example Iran is is trying to use the same uh, approaches sometimes even the same channels as the Russian information war I believe that China might have similar goals but I think they will use a bit different tactical measures so whereas the Chinese are really trying to target a uh, very narrow group of political and and business elites uh russia is rather doing this carpet bombing like <laughs> let's try to hit as many targets as possible um i'm not so sure about isis from 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 what i heard from my colleagues they they used to be more active and they are a bit less active now uh obviously it's mostly about they, they have like a bit different goal again whereas russia is trying to sway or manipulate the public opinion of the masses uh, if you are if you are a propagandist uh, serving for ISIS, you are trying to find that one person that you can radicalize in, into blowing himself uh, up. Uh, so so that's a bit different approach if you are looking for manipulation of, of the masses and if you are looking for, for one specific person. Um, it is probably uh, quite, quite heavily influenced by my perspective that I follow the Russian information warfare the most, but I do see them, I do see them as number one champions. And this is, this is why I'm a bit afraid that our reluctance to actually punish this aggressive behavior, it is encouraging other potential aggressors. It's like, if you stop punishing murders in, in Ukraine, suddenly you will have more murderers, right? <laughs> so, so we are not punishing this information aggression from Russia. We can't be surprised that suddenly there are more and more actors using the same weapons. Let's now talk maybe the last question about what to do with that. So how to punish this behavior in a situation when we have a, a great value of democratic society is a, is a freedom of expression and... Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but from from your uh, analysis, it shows that Russia is the best in using, abusing the values of democracy. I would say it it tries to turn democracy against itself, uh, it, to to take those values of democracy and uh, and use it against the democracy itself. So how to fight against it? I mean, we have to stop being more Catholic than the Pope. <laughs> It's uh, like. Of course, we have freedom of speech, but of course, we also have some rules uh, about the freedom of speech. Uh, is it legal here in Ukraine to call into a theater and say, you have a bomb there, you have to evacuate if it's not true? Is it legal here? Well, of course, it will be persecuted, yeah. You would get you would get persecuted for that in, in Czech Republic. Uh, I do think that it's not legal for a doctor to say to his patient, hey, you have cancer and you are dying. Oh, 
sorry, I was joking. It's my freedom of speech. I don't think this is legal. <laughs> and, you know, we have rules against defamation, for example. We have, um, we have laws uh, about instigating of hatred. And you would see some countries are using them, especially Lithuania, Latvia. Uh, they have banned for a limited time period, but they have banned RTR Planeta and I think I think some other Russian channels, precisely for instigating hatred, uh, for uh, incitement to war, so simply for violating laws of these countries. I think that if you have a look at what uh, these channels are doing in many European countries, they would be violating their laws. And we are just not applying it precisely because of, you know, but it's journalism, it's freedom of speech. No, this is not journalism. These are not media. They are just weapons of Russian army. <laughs> And um, yeah, I, th I, th I think it's just, just about this. Uh, we don't have to invent new laws. I think we ju just have to use the laws we already have. Uh, defamation, again, is something that we should, we should be using against them much more often. Whenever I open you know, the Czech program in Outlast, they are trying to persuade me that uh, my own state is trying to uh, conduct terror attacks against me and, and that they are trying to eradicate the white population and substitute it with uh, Muslims. And um, what else is this than, you know, trying to spread hatred, trying to provoke chaos? Uh, Another step I think we should be taking uh, in order to kind of deter other potential aggressors is uh, sanctions, personalized sanctions, uh, for one. Uh, I still find it horrible that, you know, Vladimir Solovyov, after his show, he sits on the plane and enjoys his villa at Lago di Como. I mean, he, he is spreading hatred against the West two or three evenings per week. How come that he then enjoys all the uh, all the positives of of democracy and and of rule of law if if he denigrates it uh, all the time personal sanctions and i think we we should also sanction the companies uh, and if we sanction the companies uh, we could hit them where it will hurt the most and that's the economy i i find it horrible that some of the biggest advertisers on russian media are western companies it's plain stupidity uh, you know this quote ascribed to lenin which he probably never said but it's still quoted in his name anyway capitalists will sell us the rope with which we will hang them and this is precisely happening western companies are paying for anti-western propaganda so if we sanction the companies uh, maybe we could stop at least this part Thank you very much, Jakub, for this conversation. We had Jakub Kalensky, who is a senior fellow at Atlantic Council and one of the best specialists in Russian propaganda. This is Ukraine World Podcast. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. Stay with us at ukraineworld.org. Thank you for having me.